Uh, Halfway through that, I was like, do I want to do the Mrs. Doubtfire? <laughs> uh, and then I was already committed, but then I left. Here anyway. we are again, to recording at night time. <laughs> <laughs> if you couldn't oh. tell already. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, welcome to the History Woes podcast. I'm Morgan. Late night edition. I'm Lexi. <laughs> right? History Woes after dark. <laughs> We're here with some smooth jazz. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you remember... Now. <laughs> Closing down um, when we worked for Trade Secret, and we had like the 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 mix channel, and fucking Delilah would come on. <laughs> I hated that bitch. If you hear this, Delilah, like I hated her oh, so I much. Her. I hated it. So, and I would have to put up with it during the Christmas season because that was the channel that was playing the Christmas songs. Growing, uh, so Trade Secret was a hair salon uh, yeah. that we used to work in, and uh, I don't think it's in operation anymore. My... So my mom always would listen to Delilah, so it was just, like, the normal thing that was on the radio. Mm. <laughs> I did not like Delilah. <laughs> if you guys did, I, uh, so, I'm not sorry. <laughs> but, well, yeah. Apparently, it's the opinion of half of this podcast that we hate Delilah. <laughs> Poor Delilah. I'm sure she's doing just fine. She could still be working there, for all I know. <laughs> I wonder if the plain white tees wrote that song about her. Ah, right? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. That's the name of uh, Logan's girlfriend, too. I don't think we're allowed to say that. He's gonna murder us. You didn't listen to this podcast. Well, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, he's a 13-year-old boy. He doesn't care I figured he'd be our biggest fan. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, maybe yours, not mine. That's sarcasm. He thinks I'm trying to destroy him. Yeah, teenagers. (laughs) And he's decided he's going to destroy me right back. Teenagers, man. What are you gonna do? Legion War wild he is the same age now that uh we were when we met yep don't like that <laughs> we did a bunch of dumb shit at 13 i know it makes me very nervous and they have access to these smartphones yeah it's like it's so much worse it's such a harder it's such a harder thing to keep a lid on and like the the calls that i get from the school with like well to i, I have you know she calls she's like hi they have they know me on a first name basis and they're just like hi this is Mrs. So-and-so again. I have Logan here in my office. Everything's okay. <laughs> That's how they well. always start it. Everything's okay. He's okay. But. but and then <laughs> the bomb drops. Yeah. It's, it's, sometimes it's something very funny. Sometimes <laughs> it's something that I'm just like. What? I'm like. I just, I just. You wonder how sometimes like. Uh, like uh, 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 events occur and enroll in such a way but you know then also i think back to when we were that age and yeah we were just assholes for the sake yeah of they didn't assholes. they didn't they didn't care about us they didn't call our parents no. at that school <laughs> no that wasn't a nice one no no he goes to a nice school that's good yeah that's good go pirates um yar yar that was last week's theme but yeah you know what else. yeah it's cr- it's crazy to me to now be like be editing a week behind so i was like i forget what don't be sorry. It's just sorry. weird because it's, it's I forget things. And That's I'm just fair. like, what the fuck? What did I say? What did I do? What is this about? <laughs> Who went first? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're uh we're we're having adventures in recording. But mm-hmm. um it's fun. We have Xander with us. He's a very sleepy boy though, so yes. I don't know if he'll make an appearance or not. Curled up in the laundry. Yeah. I love him. He's a good cat. He's, He's a, a very really good cat. cat. Um 
Okay, yeah, so sorry. I was trying to think about if this was our first episode of um, our Patreon, but it's not. No. That's why I'm saying I'm all fucked yeah, up. No, this, this is our is second the one. Continuation of History Ho Awareness Month. Yeah. So uh, it's our second one. Um, and it, uh, this one was precipitated by our Patreon, Andrew, sending in a, uh, a request. Yeah, he requested crazy death stories, so mm-hmm. we're uh, we're bringing that in. Yep, crazy deaths you wouldn't believe. Yep. So we got one that he uh, did, and then he I'll requested. let you know about the ones I'm doing. Let's yeah. start. But, uh, well, I guess we'll start well, yeah. with our beer. I love uh, this beer. I feel like we've featured it before. I don't think I'm... we've done this one. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Uh, you know, I feel like I drink this one a lot. I like it a lot. Florida Avenue Brewing uh, Dead Parrot. Mm-hmm. It is a light lager yep. with sea salt and fresh limes. Uh, I picked it because uh, sea salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, it's not a theme in my story, <laughs> but it does take place on the ocean. Hey. So. But yeah. Cheers. Cheers. You won't hear that, guys. Sorry, we got koozies. Sorry, y'all. We're not monsters here. Mm, I love this beer. First time I had it, I was at the the Tampa Zoo. Same. And it was fucking good. I was like, oh shit. And I think um, V. Steiner does the art for it. That tracks. That tracks. So. This is a uh, a Tampa brewery, right? Yeah, Florida Avenue. Yeah. It's uh, right up the street brewery. I thought they... They moved out to Wesley Chapel, but they are coming back next month. Okay, cool. I was say, that's rude of them to move so far away. Oh, okay. Yeah, good beer, light beer. It yeah, tastes, with a little bit of salt. It tastes like what you want Corona with lime on the beach to taste like. I agree. I agree. This is if uh, Corona seriously up their standards. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I love this beer. And it's got a fun parrot on it. it he's a parrot with a skull. Mm-hmm. And we're here with gruesome deaths. It's just, yeah. you know, and the, the art canner, is great. It's beautiful. If you like skulls, which I do. (laughs) I really, really do. What? No way. You? I love skulls. I know. (laughs) Anyway. um, One of my favorite memes that I've seen is like, uh, Valentine's Day is coming up. You better figure out what you're going to get your, what skull you're going to get your girlfriend for her skull pile. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's me. If anyone (laughs) has ever wondered. It is. I can, uh, I can attest. There are many skulls in this. In this house. Humble abode. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. Look. They make me happy. They're always smiling. Yeah. Um, So anyway, this insane death story uh, was submitted by our lovely history ho, Andrew. And today I bring you the story of the murderous Biford Dolphin in the Biford Dolphin accident. And much like Dolphin Free Tuna, this story <laughs> contains 0% real dolphins. Really? I didn't see that coming. I was like, <laughs> wait, so like you're like this murderous dolphin. I was like, what? Okay. <laughs> I'm, already, I'm already in a place I can't believe what's going on. So, okay. the Biford Dolphin was an oil drilling rig. Oh. And before I get started, I want to go ahead and say... We, as millennials, understand oil drilling is bad and harmful for the environment. It's bad for the air. It's bad for the water. It's bad for the animals. It's bad for us. We know that. I'm not getting into it anymore. Now we don't need to. Moving right along. The Biford Dolphin (laughs) was a semi-submersible oil drilling rig, and it was a deep-sea driller, and it was the first of its class. It debuted in 1974. 
dimensions approximately 36 elephants by 22 elephants by 12 elephants. It could drill 2,000 elephants deep. I'm very committed to this unit. I cannot wait for people to listen to this fucking podcast in reverse order. (laughs) What the fuck is going on? Uh, the Viper Dolphin could operate in water as deep as 150 elephants. <laughs> uh, and originally, this world-class rig, uh, built by Norwegian standards, was thought to be incredibly safe. But now we know better. Uh, so the first incident of this murderous machine was just two years after its introduction, on March 1st, 1976. So is it by Norway? Or like yeah, in that so area. Yeah, because the there's, there, yeah, there's a lot of uh, rigs there. Obviously, yeah. being like living on the Gulf Coast, sometimes we think it's there, but there's also yeah. a lot up there. Yeah, there, there are many places. There, there, there are a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this rig had its own engines that were supposed to be able to counter uh, drift and ocean currents, and otherwise, though, but for real transport, it was supposed to be pulled by, like, tugboats. Mm-hmm. And through a series of unfortunate events, this rig ran aground during transit uh, going to Bergen in the North Sea. Imagine seeing that on the beach. How'd you get here? Oh, man. Uh, I couldn't find out how many people were on board exactly, but it's built to hold 102 people. Okay. Uh, everyone ended up having to evacuate, and unfortunately, six people fell overboard from their lifeboats and died. Oh, no. And that's the end. Terrible accident. All right. JK. It gets so much worse. <laughs> uh, that isn't... So six people died, and that's not even considered the accident. Oh. All right. Uh, that's just, like, a thing that happened. Okay. So, to get to the accident, we have to take a step back first and learn some things about scuba divers. Because uh, I didn't know, and I'm not going to assume the rest of you know. Uh, particularly things about the bends. Yeah. They, so, when I went through and passed my scuba training before... Well, I passed scuba training. And, um, yeah, you have to take, you have to take a, like this huge test, and it's a lot about the bends. The bubbles. Yeah. The we bubble. talk about them. The bubbles. <laughs> not in the fun Not in the email. Uh, so scuba divers, yeah. like you, uh, have no, been... No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't get my... Well, like I, didn't get, people. I didn't get my time in the water due to freak accident. Uh, different than this accident. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> scuba divers have been learning how to safely swim at great depths since scuba was invented in the 1940s. And a lot goes into it. As a diver descends, the weight of the water around them applies plush pressure to every cell in their body. The pressure compresses the molecules of gaseous nitrogen taken into the lungs, which causes the nitrogen gas to then dissolve into the bloodstream. The absorption of nitrogen itself isn't a problem unless the diver starts to ascend to the surface too quickly, in which case it's kind of a shaken two-liter bottle of soda and turning the cap incident. Yeah, it's no Uh, good. The gases that were contained under the pressure instantly form into bubbles and then expand. As I understand it, this is an incredibly painful experience. Yeah. Uh, And that's pretty much what happens inside of a diver's body when they suffer decompression sickness or Mm. the bends. Mm. If they ascend too quickly from high pressure, uh, the high pressure of deep water to the lower pressure of the surface, the nitrogen molecules that had dissolved under pressure just quickly expand and become Mm -hmm. gaseous again. Yeah. 
there was a my diver uh, my dive instructor he had an uh interesting he had like a it was like a special kind of watch and you know like a lot of people like if you're a scuba diver you'll you'll go places specifically to like scuba dive because mm-hmm. it's a nice place and you ha- they have to like put those uh like whatever it was their dive time and and depth into the watch and it will let them know when they can fly again because like you think you're going from like something super deep and then yeah. going all like, the altitude basically like this complete opposite effect yeah. on your body and yeah so it was interesting that's that's wild i didn't think about getting into a plane after me that. neither until you you said that and i yeah. was like that's that's crazy yeah um because they measure it in altitudes so mm-hmm. i guess if you're going up yep. that is the same yeah. thing so like he I, atmospheres they yeah yeah atmospheres. so he was he was saying that like he had to like miss his plane once because it, it was safe. he was like i literally can't get on a plane yeah <laughs> i can't I that's can't. It's not safe yeah um yeah. so it's an incredibly painful potentially fatal condition mm-hmm. uh basically Oof. nitrogen bubbles form in your bloodstream and this prevents the circulation of blood around your body including your heart very scary um, it can cause excruciating joint pain, muscle pain, delirium, paralysis, heart attacks, and strokes. Mm-hmm. If caught quickly enough, the bends can be treated by placing the diver back under pressure in a hyperbaric chamber and then slowly releasing the pressure yeah. over a matter of hours or days. And those things look wild. They look like an iron lung. Mm-hmm. So if you know what that is, like, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, they're also used for like healing. So if you're in like a really bad accident or something, they can use a hyperbaric really? chamber to help speed the healing process. Huh. But, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, anyway, but the strategy is to avoid decompression sickness altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, and slowly, you know, bringing you back to normal atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, and taking frequent breaks to let your body kind of naturally exhale. Mm-hmm. They call it off gassing the nitrogen. Um, certified scuba divers know how to read a recreational dive planner and it tells them when to safely take breaks during an ascent and for how long. Mm-hmm. Another fun, uh, thing that they taught, um, and if you're going to cover this, I'll cut That's it. Fine. But like, uh, it was like, so say your, um, your equipment fails or something and, and you can't read and they don't, and like the, some, a lot of times they'll have like alerts that let them know, like mm-hmm. if you're ascending too quickly, et cetera. It's very, very high tech nowadays. And so, this was several years ago um but they said uh if that fails uh don't ascend higher than your bubbles or faster than your bubbles oh so like okay. if your bubbles are like you know you're, you're obviously you're releasing some like air and it's you can see the bubbles floating to the surface mm-hmm. and don't rise faster than those okay if and that's like obviously like last in a fucking effort. pinch yeah yeah but um yeah that was the thing they taught us yeah i don't think i'm equipped for scuba diving because i don't trust myself to not panic there's um yeah so there's a lot of fucking rules a yeah b um we did some of our hours in their pool um you know just kind of getting like you have to get used to like the the signs with your hands and and getting used to getting yourself at like a zero weight um, so you have to put, like, it's kind of, it really hurts, kind of, kind of really hurts your feelings to make you neutrally buoyant. They have to put, um, enough weight things in your, in your dive jacket or whatever. I forget what it's called. I'm sorry. Um, but the little, like, vest thing that you wear. Um, and they have to, it can hurt your feelings as you're like, it's taking a lot of weight to make me neutrally buoyant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be rude. It's, and you're already in a wetsuit, which is not forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's not the it's not the kindest thing ever but yeah so i i went into the pool and and 
Sounds my like mind... your first line of merch is just going to be flattering ladies <laughs> scuba suits. Right? Well, and I guess gentlemen, too. Yes. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah. We don't want to leave you out of no, this. No, I would love you to be flattered in your suit. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so I'm I'm going under. You know, you've got the you've got the mouthpiece and you've got your respirator, you got everything going, and and I go under the water and I'm breathing, and in my my lizard brain freaked the fuck out. I was like in a pool, I can stand up. <laughs> <laughs> my I was having such a hard time regulating my breathing. Like there's plenty of oxygen. I got a whole tank of it. I'm in a pool where I can stand up, and my lizard brain was losing its shit. I'm like. I can't catch my breath. It was pure panic. Yeah. Pure lizard. I do not trust myself to behave appropriately and thus scuba diving, not for me. There was so much panic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which the... I, I hid from everybody else. They couldn't quite tell because there's so All much panic. All panic, very little disco. Just. <laughs> exactly. Luckily, there's a lot of items covering my face where it kind of, it was, it was twilight out. You've got the big ass ski mask, uh, not ski mask, uh, <laughs> big ass goggles on. You've got the respirator in your mouth, so like nobody can tell. I'm panicked, but I was panicked. <laughs> I would throw up in my mouthpiece. <laughs> I do not. You can me. take it out easily enough, yeah, but I don't. I don't trust myself. You wouldn't want to clean that out of your yeah, respirator. No, that's not how you make friends. <laughs> I'm. I know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look back on this and be like, "Dive jacket, you dumb bitch." <laughs> like, what is? It? I don't remember what it's called. It's fine. It's look, fine. It's the we're... best. <laughs> We're not diving scientists here. <laughs> scuba we're not instructors. Boat scientists. And we're not scuba scientists. <laughs> Sorry, guys. If you thought that that's what you were coming to with this podcast, you're wrong. We're doing our best. Yeah. We're, we're barely audit scientists. <laughs> and man, they pay us to do that. Yeah. So, anyway. So thus far, we've talked about like recreational divers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Commercial divers are a bit different. They are asked to work at depths that are way deeper than any recreational scuba diver yeah. would ever really attempt. Yeah, you have, you have to have like a whole different certification. So and it's too deep. Yes, too deep. <laughs> too much. <laughs> two chains, too deep. Yep. Um. So, offshore oil rigs have equipment that runs super deep. Like 2,000 elephants deep. Say, how deep was it? Uh, it's a lot of elephants. It's a lot of fucking uh, elephants. So people have to operate this equipment, and some of it requires that people work underwater. Mm-hmm. And the that people who operate this equipment, they're called saturation divers. Ooh. Basically, they're deep sea divers, and unlike most other commercial divers who work underwater for a few hours at a time, and then carefully ascend back to, you know, where the people are. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I like that. I see. I see. (laughs) Saturation divers spend up to 28 days on the job, either underwater or in a hyperbaric chamber where they live between shifts. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, do they have, like, a little little underwater house? No, so they come like, back up, but uh, they have, well, so I talk about it, but they have a bell that they go down, and so it takes them from their chamber I gotcha. down to depth, and then they're, like, gotcha. out at depth, and they get back into the bell. The bell maintains the pressure, brings them up, gotcha. lets them into the chamber. Makes sense. Okay. Um... And seems efficient. Yeah. Uh, so. Do, do, do. I lost my spot. 
Right. So the divers, uh, they get their name because their bodies become so saturated with nitrogen mm -hmm. that they're saturated. Eek. And these men, not all men, I'm sure there are ladies, sorry. <laughs> these mm -hmm. people get paid. Yeah. They make thirty to $45,000 a month. Yeah. But the pay is so high because it's so claustrophobic and so dangerous. Yeah. This method of diving was developed in the 1950s by the U.S. Navy. Uh, and basically these guys dive up to a thousand feet or 100 elephants. <laughs> and if they used the same technique as recreational divers to safely decompress, uh, slowly ascending with the long pauses, yeah. it would take them days to reach yeah. the surface. So these guys instead of the back and forth hang out in the pressurized hyperbaric sure, chamber. Sure. Um, for every hundred feet these divers descend, uh, they need about a day in the hyperbaric chamber. Okay. Uh, these chambers are cramped, but they have beds, they have TVs, they get food and stuff delivered into them. Okay. Uh, and so it's not, it's claustrophobic, but they're not just, you know, staring at the walls going insane. Right. Um, and then they're trans, we just talked about this, but they're transferred to the depth they need to be at through mm -hmm. diving bells. Okay. Which end up, so they attach to the chamber and then they detach from the chamber and go down. Gotcha. Um, and so that way they never have to adjust to a pressure change. Yeah. And operating these diving bells requires a whole team of people. You need life support technicians to make sure the pressure is right. You need a dive control team to operate the diving bell. You need crane operators to lift and lower the bell. You need tenders to manage the air supply lines. You need cooks mm. to feed the guys. And yeah. of course, you need the divers. And the divers have to place their lives in the hands of this support team. Uh, okay. Which, I mean, that that's not uncommon for some lines of work, but yeah. still, that's scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. If you have issues, control issues, like myself, that would be un, un, undoable. I, I can't do that. Yeah. I would never be able to. Yeah. I could never. Yeah. Personally, <laughs> for many reasons, no. <laughs> uh, so now, back to the Biford diving accident. Saturday, November 5th, 1983, 4 a.m., while drilling in the Frigg gas field, uh, in the Norwegian sector of the North Sea, four divers were in a diving chamber on the rig's deck uh, that was connected to a trunk to the diving bell. So basically, they had their chambers, two chambers. Each chamber has two men in it. Okay. And then there's uh, a little connector that takes you to the diving bell. Okay. It's uh, a fancy elevator, it sounds like. Well, so it's a fancy detachable apartment, and then the bell is your elevator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, and these divers are Edwin Arthur Coward. He's British. He's 35. Roy P. <sighs> Lucas, British, 38. I'm going to try with this. Mm -hmm. Bjorn Giver, maybe Bergenson? No, Bergerson. Norwegian, he's mm -hmm. 29. And Truls Helvik, uh, he is Norwegian and 34. Kind of like young men. They were assisted by two tenders, which are the people managing the air supply. William okay. Crammond, he's British, 32. And Martin Saunders, they don't say, but I'm going with he's British. Probably, given the uh, yeah, names the name, thus far yeah. and how they've corresponded <laughs> to the nationality. Uh, just prior to the event, decompression chambers one and two 
along with the third chamber, which was not in use, were connected uh, through the trunk to the diving bell. So okay. through the little stuff mm-hmm. that connects yeah. them. Uh, and the connection was made by the trunk was kept sealed by a clamp. And that clamp was operated by Crammond and Saunders, who were, ex- they were both experienced divers. And I think you need to be an experienced diver to be a tender. That right? checks out. Like you I need, mean, You need yeah. experience in all aspects of what you're doing with this. That checks out. These guys are the experts, one would say. Uh, Coward and Lucas were resting in chamber two at a pressure of nine atmospheres. And I think that corresponds to like 900 feet. Okay. Uh, the diving bell with Bergerson and Helvick mm-hmm. had just been winched up after a dive and joined to the trunk. Uh, they were leaving their wet equipment in the trunk and the two divers had climbed through into chamber one. Okay. The normal procedure would have been to close the diving door, which would have been open to the trunk. Yeah. Slightly increase the pressure in the diving bell to seal the door. Yeah. Close chamber one's door, uh, which would have also been open to the trunk, and then you slowly depressurize the trunk until it reaches a pressure of one atmosphere or our yeah. normal atmosphere. Yeah. And then you would open the clamp to separate the diving bell from the chamber system. Yeah. So I'm so nervous. It's a, it's a <laughs> yeah. very, like, it, it's methodical for a reason. Yeah. And it's this to keep everything appropriately yeah. pressurized. Mm-hmm. Only the first two steps had been completed when, for some unknown reason, Crammond opened the clamp that was keeping the trunk sealed for Diver 4, Helovic, uh, so he could close the door to the chamber. Mm-hmm. This resulted in the chamber being explosively decompressed from a pressure of nine atmospheres mm. to one atmosphere mm. of the unsealed chamber. Oh my gosh. I'm so, okay. All right. I'm, I mean, Sorry. I'm in it's suspense. A brutal story. I'm in suspense. Okay. Uh, the air rushed out of the chambers with tremendous force. Yeah. Nine atmospheres of force. Uh, jamming the interior trunk door, pushing the bell away, striking both tenders. Oh. All four divers were killed. One of the tenders, Crammond, was killed, and Saunders was severely injured. During... The autopsies. Are you okay? Well, I'm just, yeah, sorry. I just, how, like, okay. No, yeah, you're going to, you just said through the autopsy, so I guess you're going to tell me. So during the autopsies of the four divers, three of them, they noted large amounts of fat in their arteries, veins, and heart chambers and livers. The bubbles that formed in the blood boiled the men alive from the inside out. And it denatured the fat in their bloodstream. It turned the lipids insoluble. So it basically, like, coagulated all of the fat in their bloodstream as their blood boiled off. I'm, I really hope that was fast. It's instant. Okay. 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 Yeah. Because, because being boiled alive, I understand, um... Well, A, hurts, uh, but B, uh, can take a really long time, but this sounds like it was a, a fairly instant mm-hmm. death, which I really, really hope it was. The fourth diver in the blast oh my was 
so the doorway he was closing it yeah and so it leaves a crescent oh, shape fucking hell. okay uh, like when you're yeah, if yeah, it's not yeah, closed yeah. all the way okay and the partially blocked doorway was open about 24 inches two feet mm -hmm. i don't know what that is of an elephant i'm sorry yeah uh he died instantly he was cut in half <gasps> most of his organs fell out of his body except for his trachea small intestine and his thoracic spine which is the part of, part of your spine that goes between your shoulder blades down to your mid back those were projected up and out of his body they were found 30 feet or three elephants above the door okay Sorry. yeah um <laughs> Physics is wild, um, yeah. but also so that much force. I am he's standing in the yeah, doorway. Yeah, no, 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 no. I get yeah. it. Okay. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay. There was an investigation following this tragedy. It was concluded that it was the result of both human error and engineering failures. The only way the men on the inside had to communicate with the tenders was through a bullhorn. But on a I'm rig, sorry? Yeah. <laughs> they were like, what are they shouting down into the ocean? Uh, they're, well, no. So when you're up at the chamber, you're outside of the ocean, but you're on a rig. Uh-huh. It's loud as fuck. Yeah. Compounded with ocean noise. Uh-huh. And tenders frequently worked 16-hour shifts. So nobody's technically manning these bullhorns. Well, uh, or it's also really to hard it. to hear. But, yeah. It can be coming from anywhere inside of it. The diving system also wasn't equipped with fail-safe hatches, external pressure gauges, or an interlocking mechanism to prevent the trunk from being opened while it's pressurized. Mm -hmm. One month after this incident. These fail-safes were implemented throughout the region and became required for all diving bell systems. It's rumored that the investigation to this incident was a cover-up and the result of pure neglect and basically uh, tight purse strings of the Norwegian Petroleum Directorate, uh, which is the Norwegian governmental agency responsible for petroleum regulation, saying that there is a lack of equipment that should have been available to these workers. Like, the ones that were implemented one month later. They existed to have implementation one month later. Yeah. You don't have to go through a dev process for that. That's just yeah. sourcing. The North Sea Divers Alliance, formed by early North Sea divers and the relatives of those killed, continued to press for further investigation. And this happened in the early 80s. In February of 2008, they... Uh, they obtained a report that the real cause was faulty equipment. Oh, so they were blaming these these guys this whole time, the tenders, and it's it was the equipment yeah, failed them. So you should have things like fail-safe hatches. You should have things like communication internal and external. You should have things like pressure gauges to yeah. see what the pressure is mm -hmm. inside of here. You shouldn't just be relying on someone with a bullhorn telling mm -hmm. you when you're good to go. Yeah. Claire Lucas, the daughter of Roy Lucas, said, 
I would go so far as to say the Norwegian government murdered my father because they knew they were diving in unsafe decompression yeah. chambers. The families of the divers eventually received compensation for the damages from the Norwegian government 26 okay. years after the incident. Okay. Some of compensation wasn't disclosed. I don't uh, think there's and, enough compensation, but no. I'm and, glad that they at least got the satisfaction of the government taking responsibility. Yeah. Uh, and this led to, you know, reform throughout the industry requiring these fail-safes. But. That's how it goes, right? Someone's got to have their fucking trachea explode out of them. <laughs> and their and thoracic spine. I, I purposefully did not Sorry. include that just now. Sorry. I was like, I don't, I'm just, I will be deleting that information from my mind as soon as possible. <laughs> Sorry just going to delete that and never think of it again. I'm nauseous. <laughs> like, I don't like spine stuff. <laughs> don't send you to a chiropractor. I um, don't go to the chiropractor. Uh, there was one other accident on the Bifurd Dolphin uh, in 2002 in which a 44-year-old Norwegian worker was killed on the Bifurd Dolphin. He was struck on the head. Uh, the lack of safety caused the Bifur Dolphin to lose the contract they were working on, costing them millions. Uh, and then this murderous rig was finally retired I'm glad. as of 2016. I'm glad. Sneaky of you, Andrew, to get our attention with dolphins, just for there to be <laughs> zero dolphins in this story. <laughs> he knew how to sell a story. Right, he's like, the Bifur Dolphin is a no elaboration. <laughs> <laughs> Deaths you wouldn't believe. How many dolphins murdered Bifurk? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, did a dolphin murder a man named Bifurk? <laughs> no. Zero dolphins. I guess it's... Yeah. Zero dolphins. Only murder. <laughs> oh my uh, yeah, gosh. So that's the story of the murderous Bifurk dolphin accident. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. So oh my god. I know that I'm was nauseous. I was writing Do that. Do you have nausea? <laughs> Are you serious? I'm entirely okay. serious. Yeah, I think you guys so. are gonna break real quick. <laughs> we're gonna get a um a drink and uh some nausea. Uh, also I maybe I nausea if you'd like to sponsor us. Um <laughs> I cannot recommend enough you suffer from easy, easily getting nauseous. Uh nausea works really well. Uh so yeah, we're gonna pause here, guys. Jeez. <laughs> Alright, guys, we're back. Sorry. Took some nausea and drink some water. <laughs> I'm uh, so sorry. Uh, props to Andrew no, for the yeah. first vomit-inducing story. Like, I mean, uh, leave it to Andrew to upstage Simone, who had, re- who had uh, thus far, had given us the, the, the skeeviest the mo- story. The most nightmarish stories. Which was Chernobyl, because people, like, melted to death. Oh, Turns there was out- Chernobyl. She also suggested Unit 7... That was Whatever. scary and sad. Chernobyl, people melted. Oh, for me, the other one was worse. So that was Chernobyl. scarier. That was scarier for but, me. But uh, Chernobyl skeeved me. Like, uh, but, just... You know, we haven't had to pause for a vomit break, so... I thanks, didn't actually Andrew. vomit, but damn. We came close. Damn, man. Oh, so, wow. Good, good call. Good call. Yeah. <laughs> or bad call. <laughs> I don't know. It was a woeful call. Yeah. <laughs> that's damn, what we're here bruh. for. All right. Right along. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, so I got a drink here. I wanted to bring something spicy, because um, I wanted something with a bite to it. 
but I did not have time to pick that up. So instead, I got something that was more of a sweet, sweet. tooth uh, kind of drink. And you'll notice both these in- include biting in teeth. You'll, you, you'll huh. get me in a minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this is the Vin Chocolat uh, Noir. It's from uh, Cooper's Hawk. It smells like Tootsie Rolls. It also tastes like Tootsie Rolls. It does. It's red wine. But yeah. It's very sweet. If you do not like sweet wine, don't do it. I've had people who don't like sweet wine and still like this, though. Because, I mean... If you're a chocolate lover? Yeah, if you like yes. chocolate, yes. If, you do, if you're a candy person and don't like sweet wine, then just skip it. Yeah. Um, but if you're a chocolate lover, yes. If you're a sweet wine lover, yes. Yeah. For sure. If you're like, I only drink dry wine, don't, don't drink this. Don't drink it's this. It's not for you. No. But... But I love go. it. I like Cheers. it. Cheers. Mm. Love it. We're uh, back in the stainless steel yep. wine glasses. I yep. love these so much. I picked, th- I, I picked those because I was like, I can't break these. Yeah. They're, mm-hmm. they're my favorite. That's why I bought them. <laughs> they're durable. They yeah. They're durable. with me. Your dad just came out. What? <laughs> they're durable. <laughs> that's what it sounded like. <laughs> Only, we'll know when we play it back. <laughs> Whoops. I try to conceal <laughs> that accent most of the time. I am not always successful. Look, it's fine. If you can't tell by the number of times I say y'all. <laughs> okay. So, today I am covering stories requested by our lovely Patreon, Simone. Um, uh, when we decided to do an episode on Weird Deaths based on Andrew's suggestion, I realized we didn't have any stories from Simone in for the month. So I asked her if she had any weird death stories that she wanted to hear about, and she did not disappoint. Uh, she, in fact, had two weird death stories, uh, which worked out because one is kind of short. So I'm going to cover those today. First up, we have Sigurd Eistensen, I think. Okay. Eistensen, uh, or also known as Sigurd the Mighty. Uh, the two main sources for Sigurd's life are the Norse Heimskringla and the Orkninga sagas. Um, according to the sagas, after the Battle of Harfjord united the Norwegian kingdom around the year 872, the Orkney and Shetland Islands became a home to exiled Vikings. Oh, the best sheepdogs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they would hide out here on these islands and raid their former homelands. The king of Norway, Harald Fairhair, uh, successfully beat the pirate Vikings with the help of Rungwald Eisenstein. I think that's it. Uh, which is Sigurd's brother. During the battle to beat the pirates, Rungwald's son, uh, Rungwald's son Ivar, was killed. And as compensation for the loss, the king gave Rungwald the Orkney Islands, uh, along with the title of Jarl or Earl. But for whatever reason, Rungwald didn't want to be Earl of Orkney. Probably because these islands are in the middle of fucking nowhere. Um, but... He said, fuck your shitty islands. Yeah. So with the king, uh, with the consent of the king, uh, he transferred the title and lands to his brother Sigurd. And, uh, man, people, he just want to do something nice for his brother. I don't know. Nah. That was a <laughs> troll move on Maybe. his little brother. He's like, yo, I don't want these beast shit islands. You know what I can do? <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah, I have no idea how valuable these islands were at hey. the time. Hey, Steve, <laughs> happy birthday, you son of a bitch. You're Earl now. You have to have these piece of shit islands. <laughs> um, so, if yeah, I have no idea how valuable they were. It, like, I, I don't know if they were like a significant trade route. I don't know, because they're kind of, like, to me, they look like they're in the middle of nowhere. If you know where Scotland is, uh, the northeast side of it is the highest point, and that's pretty far north. 
and the collection, this collection of islands that is Orkney is 180 miles north of that point. Uh, it's a fascinating place to visit, though, for lovers of history, but I cannot see wanting to be there 365. That sounds awful. It sounds like it would be very cold. But maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it's got a maritime climate. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, as Earl of Orkney, Sigurd uh, begins to Viking in a partnership with Thornstein the Red. And they're pretty successful in conquering northern Scotland. Such good names. I know. What's sad? We Such don't do good this names. anymore. Um, Sigurd expanded his domains to the Scottish mainland. He conquered uh, Caithness and Sutherland. Um, and at least as far south as, this is a bullshit name. I don't know if it's still called this, but it's like, it looks like a, a name that you would see in Star Wars. It's Ekhalsbaka, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. It's E-K-K-J-A-L-S-B-A-K-K-A. Sure. It, or maybe like a Pokemon name. I don't know. <laughs> but like Ekhalsbaka, maybe. Um, so, but he got so, somewhere along the banks of the river Oiko. His achievements in conquering the north of Scotland became legendary and earned him the, nef- the epithet, the mighty. Um, according to the Orkinga saga, towards the end of his reign, Sigurd challenged a native picked ruler called Mael Brigti the Bucktooth. <laughs> <laughs> Which is rude no! as fuck. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> The, uh, just to give you some background, the Picts were the Iron Age people that lived in modern-day Northeast Scotland. The term <laughs> Picti is a Latin term that literally means painted people. And so the, they buck toothed Right? That's where the English teeth started. Uh, <laughs> the term is likely a reference to the Pictish custom for body painting or tattooing. We have a <gasps> oh, co-host. Hey, baby. He's like, let me out. I'm done napping. I must go commit violence. Look at those little paws. <laughs> well, thanks for joining. Yeah, thank you for coming. Um, so yeah, the, pic- uh, the term Picti is a Latin term that literally means painted people. The term is likely a reference to the Pictus custom of uh, body painting or tattooing. A lot of the time this is shown in the media as being like a blue body paint or tattoo. Uh, which is probably where Braveheart was going with that. And I'll take this opportunity to say that the movie, uh, that movie, may have been the most, had the most historical inaccuracies in any movie that I've ever seen. They would not have had on body paint, and they wouldn't have even been wearing kilts. If you'd like to hear more on how much that movie sucks, I recommend the YouTube channel History Buffs and his episode on that movie. Is that the most inaccurate? One of them, yeah. I feel like we grew up all watching Pocahontas. Yeah. So there's that too. <laughs> I just, people watch Braveheart and like, I feel like people watch Pocahontas and they know she wasn't talking to like probably like raccoons and, and like, uh, I, mean, I don't and shit. know. But then they I watch find that Mel Gibson. the unbelievable part of that movie. <laughs> right. Well, that's true. You're probably, that's not the most inaccurate thing in that movie. <laughs> but like, they watch like fucking Mel Gibson like up here like, and whatever. And it's like, my man, like none of the, it's, it's fucking ridiculous. Great music, though. Very um, good music. Great music. And butts. Who doesn't love butts? 
when they turn around and moon everyone. Oh, yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? All right. I thought you were saying bats. Only one of us loves butts. I thought you were saying bats, and I was like, I do fucking love bats, but I cannot recall a moment in this movie that had bats. (laughs) Oh, it was just payback for the Jim Crow statue. (laughs) How are you tying this together? Sorry. Sorry, we can cut that part. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, so, but anyway. Booties. Anyway. anyway. Yeah, Sucker challenges Mile Brigty the Bucktooth <laughs> to a 40-man per side battle. So each side has 40 people on it. Rudely, though, Sigurd brings 80 men to fight, <gasps> and Mile Brigty was defeated and beheaded. Oh, his poor Bucktooth skull. But don't worry about it. Do they give him braces post No, no. Girl, 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 girl. Sigurd strapped the head to his saddle as a trophy. But as Sigurd rode, my Brigti's buck tooth scratched his leg. The leg became inflamed and infected, developed sepsis, and as a result, Sigurd died. Oh, metal. <laughs> I love it. He was buried in a tumulus, which is kind of like a burial mound, known as Sigurd's How. The location of Sigurd's house is most probably in modern-day Sidera or Cider Hall near Dornoch, and that is Sigurd's story. Imagine. A t- she's you like, look at someone, you're like, you buck-tooth bitch, <laughs> and then your buck-tooth kills that person. Yes. I love that. She, she sent that one to me, she's like, Sigurd the Mighty, who was killed by a tooth, not his own, and I was like, well, we've got to cover it. <laughs> I can't not cover it Well, now. turns out I'm in. <laughs> I was like, you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> Uh, do we want to let Xander out? He looks like no, he's about he's, to start crying. He's fine. Okay. You have not been a part of this podcast. Oh, he, Xander, you are right on cue. He's like, I am about to start crying. <laughs> Go on. Tell us your story. He's so silly. All right. Did you prepare anything for this podcast, Xander? He's like, my brilliance. <laughs> the next... And slightly longer story. Is that a guy you might have heard of? This story, uh, this is the story of Attila the Hun and his death. Ooh. Uh, now, honestly, I didn't know a whole lot about his life. Only the general whereabouts of where he lived. <laughs> his life. And, and, like, yeah, we ruined a lot of other people's lives. Um, and then he was just really, really good at war. Um, we watched Milan. That's what I'm, I mentioned that later. I was like, look, I don't like, I don't, that, that, that wasn't so even Attila. So much Disney corner in these yeah, last right? couple episodes. That wasn't even Attila. That was, uh, what was his name? Shan Yu? Shen Yu? I don't remember. Whatever. They were the Huns. They were the Huns. They were part of the Huns. Um, you can't tell me I don't remember that song. <laughs> we definitely remember the song. Um, so, but when I was re- researching him, I noticed that, similarly to Boudicca, uh, the only complete, or most complete, written sources um, on Attila were written by his enemies, who also happen to be Romans. That is definitely where the similarities between Attila and Boudicca end, though. <laughs> uh, I do not think she would have liked this dude. Oh, um, they were not friends. I don't think they would have been. Though she did live several hundred years before him. Um, but the Romans are still fucking out there being a, pro- uh, a pain, a problem. Just identifying as problems. Um... There are certainly no similarities between the Romans of yesteryear and Americans today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Um, So, yeah, other people did write about Attila, but only fragments of those writings remain. Uh, One of the most complete and referenced accounts of Attila's life was written by Priscus, Mm. 
who was a Roman diplomat and historian who wrote in Greek. Uh, and he was both a witness to and an actor in the story of Attila. His writing is obviously going to be biased based on his political position, but his writing is still a major source of information on the life of Attila. And he is the only person to have a uh, known recorded physical description of him. Turns out he's fucking short. Of course like he was. We knew that. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Said he was yeah, short of stature. It's him. It's Napoleon. Son of a bitch. All right. Um, we love short kings, but not if you're going to be an asshole Not about if it. you're going to be a douchebag about it. Um, okay, so the history of the Han people uh, was transmitted orally, though, from generation to generation, which doesn't make it any less valid, because, I mean, anyone can also still write whatever they want down. Um, doesn't make it true. However, it does mean that a lot more of it was lost over the years. Um, some fragments of the oral history have been recorded from literature by Scandinavian and German historians who were uh, neighbors to the Huns. But who were the Huns exactly? Um, tell us, tell us. Well, so my only reference growing up was the bad guys in Mulan. Um, but the Huns were a group of Eurasian nomads um, appearing from the east of the Volga, which is a river in western Russia, and then they migrated further into western Europe, where they built up an enormous empire. Um, their main military techniques were mounted archery and javelin throwing. Yeah, that checks out from Milan. Yeah, definitely. Turns out that's not the most historically inaccurate <laughs> Disney video. <laughs> Attila's father, Munsuk, was the brother of kings Akhtar and Ruga, who reigned jointly over the Hunnic Empire in the early 5th century. That's fun. Yeah, this form of diarchy, which is a fun word, uh, was recurrent with the Huns, but historians aren't sure whether that was like a required thing, if it was just like a customary thing, or an occasional occurrence. We don't know. That's um, kind of cool, though. I agree. Um, Attila doesn't, though, later on, but I'll tell you. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, we already established she was yeah, an asshole. kind of a jerk. Um, Attila grew up in a rapidly changing wor- world. His uh, people were nomads. Who we had... all laugh in millennial, but go on. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not wrong. Uh, his people were nomads. Uh, who had only recently arrived in Europe. They, again, they crossed Volga River during the 370s and annexed the, Tory, the territory from the Allens, which I'm kind of sad they're not around anymore. Uh, um, it's just him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, then attacked the Gothic kingdom between the Carpathian Mountains and the Danube, which is basically around modern-day Hungary, if you get it, and uh, Romania, probably where the and, name came from. You know. Dracula. And Dracula. I, it's the first thing I thought about. I was like, oh, don't make a reference. Thank you for Sorry. doing that for me. I really appreciate your, like, showing up for me on this episode. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, so it looks like Dracula. It's a short Dracula. <laughs> um, the Huns were very mobile people um, whose mounted archers uh, had acquired a reputation for invincibility. Um, and the Germanic tribe seemed unable to withstand them. Uh, vast populations fleeing the Huns moved from German- Germania into the Roman Empire in the west and south. And along the banks of the Rhine and the Danube, which are rivers that run through Germany. Um, in 376, the Goths, the Goths, very fun to talk about, uh, crossed <laughs> the Danube uh, in, in their black eyeliner. Uh, <laughs> initially, initially submitting they to the Maryland Manson t-shirts. <laughs> they initially submitted to the Romans, but uh, soon uh, started rebelling against the emperor who they killed in battle. Um, and the Roman Empire at this time had been split in half since 395. And it was ruled by two distinct governments. One um, based in the West. Maryland Manson. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One based in the West and the other in Constantinople in the East. The Roman emperors, both East and West, were gener- generally from the Theodosian family um, in Attila's lifetime. Which, when I read, I couldn't stop saying the Theodosian Girl, song from I <laughs> Taught myself. I the wife from Hamilton. I'm like, you can't be the ADHD in this episode. You must. No, no, girl. I was like, I started singing it immediately. I couldn't help myself. Um, so the Huns have a real love hate relationship with the Roman Empire. Like, there's so much information on this. And it's really interesting. I, rec- I recommend you look further into it if you're interested in the story. There's a lot of back and forth on the battles and consequences of those battles. Um, but, so basically the Huns have this huge empire and it butts up against the Roman empire. Uh, the Huns, but, but, they're butts, like but. hip bumping one another, <laughs> yeah. but not in the fun way. They're like really mean sisters. Yeah. They are kind of like frenemies here. Um, in the most murderous sense of the word, <laughs> the Huns are also an indirect source for many of the Romans problems because they kept driving various Germanic tribes into the Roman territory. who were trying to escape the Huns. And I think that says a lot. About living under Hunnish rule, because the Romans were not known to be, like, the super welcoming empire. Um, and the Romans are like, stop! <laughs> no, right? Like, too many Germans! Um, yeah. So, the Romans used the Huns as mercenaries against the Germans, and even helped uh, had them help in their civil wars. Uh, the two groups exchanged ambassadors and hostages, and the alliance lasted from about 401 to 450, and allowed for a lot of Roman military victories. 49 minutes? Yeah, 49 minutes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I sorry. know these, I have to get fuck, it together. No, these years sound made up. 401 to 450 sounds ridiculous. This is why we cannot record at night. I, I am incapable kind of, of being an adult we both or a do. serious person. We don't need to be serious. People aren't here for seriousness. That's fair. There are other podcasts for that. That's Especially fair. for history. You're not here That's for fair. any of you that. You have the daily if you want seriousness. Exactly. Uh, I passed past 601. <laughs> Frankly, I'm incapable. <laughs> yep. Anyway. Uh, so the... 401 I would have been fine, though. <laughs> Uh, so the, so basically they've got this thing going on that they're helping each other out. The Huns considered that the Romans uh, were paying them tribute, whereas the Romans preferred to view it as they were paying the Huns for services rendered. Whatever you saw in Kibitch. Uh By the time Attila came of age during the reign of his uncle Ruga, um, the Patriarch of Constantinople said of the Huns, quote, they have become both masters and slaves of the Romans. It's being kind of dramatic if you ask me. But How are you both? I don't know. I don't know. Like, I guess if you have, like, a... There's a lot of commentary here about switching the bedroom, <laughs> but, you know, oh we're just gosh. gonna leave that there. Oh, my gosh. In 434, <laughs> <laughs> Attila's Uncle Ruga died. Yeah. This left Not this... Uncle Rutabaga! <laughs> I know, we're a stupid name. They don't have as cool names as the Vikings at all. Um, like, the Mighty, the Bucktooth. The Bucktooth guy, to be fair, was not. Like, he, like he, he got it. He got his. He got it. Vengeance was his. It was. Um, so his uncle dies. This left the sons of Ruga's brother, uh, Munzuk, which is Attila and uh, his brother's dad. So it's Attila and his brother's name is Bleda. Bleda? I don't know. So it's not as good as Attila. He sounds weak <laughs> as fuck. I wouldn't share a kingdom with him either. <laughs> so they're in control of the United Hun tribes. 
In 435, soon after uh, assuming leadership, Attila and Blitta um, negotiate a really advantageous treaty in favor of the Huns. The Romans agreed to return fu uh, the fugitives that the Huns had been bargaining for for like a year already. Um, they agreed to double the previous tribute of 350 Roman pounds of gold. Um, they agreed to open their markets to Hunnish traders and to pay a ransom of eight solidi, I guess just money, some eight something, eight, eight monies. For each Roman <laughs> taken prisoner by the Huns. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Eight monies. <laughs> I don't know. The Huns are pretty satisfied with this deal, so they, they left the Roman Empire, and they returned to their home in the Great Hungarian Plain. Uh, Theodosius... Fucking mm. used this opportunity to strengthen the walls of Constantinople, building the city's first seawall and building up his border defenses along the Danube. The Huns remained out of the Romans' hair for about five years when they when they just were started invading other empires. Um, but they were defeated in Armenia by the Sassanids, so the Huns abandoned their invasion and turned their raiding and conquering back to Europe. They're like, "Fuck, well that didn't work out. Let's turn this bus around." These sassy bitches mm -hmm. are too good for us, right? Right. In 440, they reappeared in force on the borders of the Roman Empire, attacking the merchants at the market on the north bank of the Danube, um, which had been established in the Treaty of Five Years Ago. <laughs> uh, like, yo, we just <laughs> did this. Fuck, it's fucking Huns. Um, crossing the Danube, they laid waste to cities and forts on the river. They demanded that the Romans turn over a bishop who had uh, retained property that Attila said was his. And while the Romans were, like, discussing the bishop's fate, this bishop slipped away to the Huns and then betrayed the whole Roman city to the Huns. <gasps> and I was like, all right, well. <laughs> damn. Damn. Don't use um, him in chess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after, like, two years of fighting, Theodosius recalls his troops from Sicily and ordered, like, a large issue of new, new monies to finance operations against the Huns. He believes, like, ah, oh, no, I'm going to beat him. I, I can do this. I can do this. And he re keeps refusing the Attila's uh, demands. Attila responded with a campaign in 443. Um, and for the first time, as far as the Romans knew, his forces were finally equipped with, like, battering rams, like, rolling siege towers. Like, he's got a really good army now, I guess. I don't he know. said, bring it, bitch. Yeah. Um, and they successfully assaulted the military centers of Ratiara and Nasus and massacred the inhabitants. Oh. Priscus said, quote, when we arrived at Nasus, we found the city deserted, as though it had been sacked. And it, it had been. Um, only a few persons lay in the churches. We halted at a short distance from the river in an open space, for all the ground adjacent to the bank was full of the bones of men slain in war. Oof. Mm. Not good. Rough. Yeah. Uh, Theodosius was unable to make any kind of effective armed resistance, so he had to he had to admit defeat. Uh, sending this this guy, I don't know what magister militum, I don't know Roman words, uh, to negotiate. Yeah, he sent this guy in magister militum to negotiate peace terms. The terms were harsher than the previous treaty in four thirty five. Well, they couldn't act right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they even did anything wrong. I think until it was just like bored. Um. <laughs> The emperor agreed to hand over 6,000 Roman pounds of gold as punishment for having disobeyed the terms of the treaty during the invasion. The yearly tribute was tripled, and the ransom for each Roman soldier rose to 12 monies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
After that peace treaty in 443, the Huns returned to the Great Hungarian Plain. <laughs> Roman sources are hazy about what happened there over the next uh, few years, but at some point, Attila decided to challenge Bleda for sole power of the empire. Uh, sole power of the empire. The Roman writer Priscus claimed that in 445, Bleda was assassinated as a result against plots against his brother. I think Attila just fucking killed him. Um, it seems in line with his whole shtick. <laughs> so two years later, in 447, Attila again rode into the Eastern Roman Empire. And again, I cannot tell based on accounts if he was just bored or something happened. But all accounts basically paint him as, quote, a lover of war. And it shows. Um, the Roman army met him in battle um, at the Battle of Utus. And the Roman army was pretty soundly defeated. Um, though not without inflicting some heavy losses of their own. The Huns were left unopposed and rampaged through the Balkans and into Greece before the Romans finally managed to stop them at Thermopylae. After which the Huns and Romans negotiated another complicated treaty with even harsher terms for the Romans. The Romans are not I, having a good time. They gotta get some better negotiators. <laughs> like, they're having a hard time. Doing good. Having a hard time, yeah. Um, also, uh, Thermopylae sounds like it should be fake. Yeah, it does. And I only know that word from basically the 300 thing. Yeah. That's where King still Leonidas made like, his stand. I, yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, well, not, we, we know. We run a history book. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, uh, no. 300. Never mind. 300 but, is, might actually be the one with the most inaccurate. <laughs> I unapologetically love that movie. But, I love that movie, too, for several reasons. Everybody in it is hot as shit, except for that one senator. <laughs> but, like, everybody else, hot as fuck. Lena Haney, hot as fuck. Uh, what's his name? Gerard Butler. Hot as fuck. And then my other man. What's his name? Steve. <laughs> the Will Fight in the Shade guy. He's in everything. He's yeah. the, oh, the guy I like. I don't know. Yeah. They're all hot. They're all hot. Even that guy who ended up getting his head cut off is pretty hot. <laughs> They all deserve to be called hot. They all worked out for 18 hours a day or some crazy shit like that. I mean, Gerard Butler will never look like that again, nor does he need to. He's fine. Couldn't But he, at this point, he was fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great movie. I saw yeah. that in IMAX with my dad. That was really unpleasant. It was unpleasant and uncomfortable. I only, li- I only liked it. That's going to be as bad as watching Spartacus with your dad. You did that. I too. did. I watched I one episode of Spartacus and I just sat there. It's not a large <laughs> room. <laughs> and I'm just like, I think I mentally left my body based on what was you on the TV screen. Yeah. It, what was on the TV screen was if I'd been in a room by myself, I probably wouldn't have even hardly noticed this scene. But with my dad in the room, I, I wanted the sweet release of death. <laughs> Yeah, um... It's like, it was on Stars. It's it's like Game of Thrones. It's like anything that's on those. Like, it's just fucking. <laughs> it's just... And it's 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 not like a nice way. There's no music in the... It's just fucking. <laughs> I just would like to say I'm surprised that next there year, hasn't been like a thermostat company to, to name themselves Thermopylae. <laughs> Like the you're nest. still out there. You're like, damn. This is like, there's got to be some branding here. 
Oh, like nest. Like you called it nest. You could have called it Thermopylae. You could have. Yeah. Like you just fucked around and didn't do that. TM. We're going to make our own nest and we're going to call it Thermopylae. TM. (laughs) Anyway. Oh my goodness. Sorry, I'm still fucked up about that. That's fine. No, that's totally fine. There's a fucking ton of names in this fucking story. Bucktooth. (laughs) Crazy, crazy name. Bled it. Oh, poor Bucktooth Bill. (laughs) Sicker. He got his fucktooth bill. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh gosh. So we're about three years later in 450. Uh, Attila intended uh, Attila intended to uh, attack the Visconth Kingdom of Toulouse, which is in southwestern France. Um, and he made an alliance with. That's where Beth- the Aristocat is from. <laughs> That's also what I was. I really appreciate you showing up here for my brain subtext. <laughs> Well, I didn't know it's the same. I was like, Deleuze? Like the cat. Oh. <laughs> Guys, it's going to be a very niche episode. <laughs> mm. I feel so, like we're throwing it back in which we got drunk way too fast. Yeah. We started I'm not even that drunk. I'm ju- it's just nine o'clock on a Friday. I'm exhausted. We don't know how to act. Yeah. Anyway. Lost my mind. Um, so... He was, he's making a pack with this guy. He's the emperor. <laughs> um, he's got a he new gonna, groove going yeah. on. <laughs> Shit. I'm done. I'm you're done. fine. You're fine. No, it's good. It's great content. <laughs> um, so he's going to make an alliance with Valentinian III, who is the emperor of the Western Roman Empire. But during this time, Valentinian's sister, Honoria, I'm pretty sure it's how you say it. It looks like Honoria, but that sounds like a SCT. <laughs> It's like uh, honor IA. So as I'm like, I'm, I assume they would pronounce it Honoria, but it does look like Honoria. Um, but so Honoria sends, uh, she sends Attila a plea for help. She sent word to Attila that her brother was forcing her into a marriage with some boring ass Roman senator and uh, she needed his help to get out of it. Obi-Wan, you're my only hope, but it's Attila the Ooh, so it is not going to go right. Um, so she. I only have Disney references today. <laughs> it's fine. I love <laughs> anyway. that for us. Um, so she also sent along with her words, the engagement ring for her impending marriage. Attila, who already had several wives, but was ever the gentleman and opportunist, uh, took Honoria's plea as a proposal for marriage. He accepted and claimed- She won't you? Does not matter. It's Attila the Hun. He accepts and claims her as his newest bride and- because her brother being who he is, half the Western Empire is her dowry. Um, when Valentinian uh, figured out what his sister had done, he was fucking furious. And it was only the influence of his mother that convinced him not to kill his sister. <laughs> he didn't get away with it this time. He's the emperor. He can do whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, that was my son. Like, bitch, <laughs> now I we got Attila coming from. I'm like, killing you. Um, he also, so he writes to Attila strenuously denying the legitimacy of the propo- of the supposed marriage proposal, but Attila sent an emissary to proclaim that Honoria was innocent and that the proposal had been legitimate and that he would come and claim what was rightfully his. Um, Attila would wage his next two military campaigns in Honoria's name. Um, in 452, Attila went to Italy to claim his marriage with Honoria, um, invading and ravaging Italy along the way. Communities became established. This is a fun fact, um, which I hope the entire podcast is, but this part was particularly fun. Uh, communities became established in what would later become Venice, 
as a result of these attacks when the residents were fleeing to the small islands on the Venetian lagoon. So that's why that's they cool. I thought so too. Um, his what army. A cool way for Venice to. I guess. Like tragic. Yeah. And now we're tragically kind of sinking it. But, you know. <laughs> wow. Uh, his army sacked numerous cities and razed uh, the city of Achilia so completely that afterwards it was hard to recognize its original site. Oh. Yeah, that's kind of sad. Um, Emperor Valentinian III sent three envoys who met Attila and managed to get him to promise that he would withdraw from Italy and negotiate peace with the emperor. I don't know if they know how like his peace negotiating works, but it doesn't usually work out for the Romans. Um, and Attila decided he had some bigger fish to fry anyway in the Eastern Roman Empire, where the emperor Marcion had stopped paying tribute to the Huns. <gasps> right? Mm, so Gotta pay them taxes. Right? Right? Attila withdraws from Italy um, to his palace across the Danube while making plans to attack Constantinople to reclaim tribute. However, he dies in the oh. early months of 453. Um, the conventional account oh from... Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. From, so the conventional account from Prisca says that Attila was at a feast celebrating his latest marriage, even though he was still pursuing the claim on Honoria, or Honoria, I don't know. Um, but he was married, he was getting married to the beautiful young woman named Ildiko. <laughs> it's really weird. It's a weird name. And the capital I next to the lowercase L just makes it look like Ildiko. <laughs> That's not it. Um, so Ildiko or something. Anyway, she's apparently gorgeous. Um, and in his palace where the wedding took place, Attila partied and drank well into the night. The next morning, he didn't wake up, but he wasn't killed by any wound that anyone could see initially. Afterwards, it appeared that Attila had suffered a bad nosebleed while lying in a stupor and choked to death on his own blood. Damn. What yeah. a bitch-ass way to go. Right? It's possible. Death by nosebleed. Yeah. It's also possible that he could have died due to a ruptured esophageal varices. Esophical varices are dilated veins that form in the lower part of the esophagus and often caused by years of excessive alcohol consumption. They're fragile and can easily rupture. Oh. So I guess that can also happen. That'll lead, lead to death by hemorrhage. That's fun. Yeah, Ooh, yeah I know. It's scary. Um, Esophageal varices. Yeah, weird. Um, thank you for saying that correctly. That's right. <laughs> um, some suggest that... Ill, I don't know, the fucking wife, played a part in his death, or that he fell victim to a conspiracy engineered by, like, the Eastern Roman Emperor. But most have just dismissed it as a freak accident or a cautionary tale about the dangers of binge drinking. Drink responsibly, everyone. Um, cheers to that. Yeah, cheers to drinking responsibly. We have water here. Uh, cheers. Um, according to Priscus, Attila's army grieved the loss of their leader by smearing their faces with blood and riding their horses in circles around the tent holding his body. That night, his body was encased in three coffins, one gold, one silver, one iron, and buried in a tomb filled with the weapons of his defeated enemies, along with jewels and, like, other treasures and whatnot. As legend has it, a river was diverted so that Attila could be buried in its bed, and the waters were then released to flow over the grave. The servants who buried Attila were subsequently killed to prevent them from revealing his final resting place. The location of the burial site, believed to be somewhere in Hungary, remains unknown to this day. Wow. Mm-hmm. Also, the, uh, I guess uh, the whereabouts of wherever his capital was is also 
unknown to this day. Interesting. Crazy, yeah. As my story on the death of Attila the Hun. Thank you, Simone, for those fantastic suggestions. I will say Sigurds is not for the people involved, uh, but for me, much funnier. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. but this is also crazy because, like, everybody like knows the name, and it's like well, he killed, he got, he got died from a nosebleed. <laughs> he got died <laughs> from a nosebleed. So, yeah, Wild. yeah. So, thank you guys for sending those in. Yeah, I really, really appreciate it. Um, Andrew, I'm probably gonna lose some sleep <laughs> over <laughs> yours, probably. Uh, but still, an excellent. An excellent, uh, even even though it had no dolphins. An excellent <laughs> uh, request. Thank you. If for you that. have any murder stories with real dolphins, let us know. Not and of people murdering dolphins. No, of dolphins murdering people. Dolphins murdering people. It has to be the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So yeah, we're looking forward to the next uh, couple History of topics. Ho awareness. Yeah, we're looking forward to the next couple of topics. Yeah. Um. We've got some great ones coming up. Um, so yeah, guys, uh, it's, it's it's getting late. It's nine oh nine. We're sleepy, so we're gonna we're gonna let you go here. We hope that you're having an excellent Wednesday when this comes out, and uh, we will catch you next time. But in the meantime, you can catch us on our Patreon at uh, Patreon.com/slash/HistoryWoes, where if you have a suggestion, your suggestion goes straight to the top. Xander's here. He's telling. He says yes. He says yes. Um, you can also find us on our Instagram at forward slash history woes, where you can find our link tree, um, which will take you to our website. You can listen to our podcast wherever you want to stream your podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, guys, we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.